The scripture today is from Matthew 15, 21 to 28. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for song. Thanks be to God for testimony. And thanks be to God for this inclusive community. Would you please pray with me? God of grace, God of mercy, God of joy, God who made, loves, and includes all of us, please be with us today, holding us in your heart, telling us of your love, and help us in our hearts and our minds and our words to be your people, to know that we are your children, and to live like all of us matter. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I went to school here in the city of Chicago. I went to college at the University of Chicago on the south side and um, lived in a dorm my freshman year. Lived in a dorm that I loved. It's a beautiful building made of stone covered in ivy. It was built in the 1890s, and so it's just got that classic look. It's gorgeous. And I got a lot of, a lot of good memories associated with that building. Um, met my husband there, met some of my best friends there. It's a great place. It's a beautiful place. Uh, coincidentally, Danny Sanchez also lived there, <laughs> our testifier, a couple years after me. So there are a lot of things that I love about that building. Um, a lot of good memories that I have there, but there are some problems with that building. And I want to tell you about one of them. Um, to know about that, you have to know about my family. My family, I'm super close to my family. I've got three younger brothers. I've got a ton of aunts and uncles, lots of cousins all over the world with all kinds of experiences. Um, we're really tight. We love each other. And um, one of those is my mom's brother, Joe, my uncle. And my uncle, I grew up with him. Um, he lives in Illinois. We'd visit him all the time. He played Barbies with me when I was little. <laughs> he's an artist. Uh, he's really creative. Um, he was always really patient with me, um, really cared about me, was really close to me in my life a lot. Another thing about Joe is that he um, had a, a medical issue, a hospital error, when he was a baby. Um, and so he has a seizure disorder because of some um, oxygen deprivation that he experienced. And so he regularly has seizures, and those seizures have um, limited some of what he can do in the world. He uses a walker to get around when I was younger. He uses a wheelchair to get around now. He communicates in a slightly different manner than some of your uncles might. Um, but he's my uncle. I love him. He's great. Uh, and when I was a freshman, uh, he and my mom were going to come to visit me in Chicago, going to do a big thing together. We were going to go to the art museum or the aquarium, probably. I don't even remember which, but you know, the classic family out of town thing that you do. 
Uh, and uh, he was going to come visit my campus, and we are going to walk around this beautiful place and see all the beautiful things, and he was going to visit me. Except I realized um, right before his visit that he wasn't going to visit where I live uh, because it's not accessible. The building has no way for someone using a wheelchair to get in. It has no way for someone using a walker to get in, and my uncle literally couldn't visit the place where I lived. And we had a great visit anyway, right? He's used to this stuff. Um, we went other places that are accessible, but it hurt. I think it hurt him and it hurt me that that wasn't possible. And it hurt me that I felt like um, I knew him. I knew, like we had been close for a really long time. I'd gone a lot of places with him. I thought that I was aware of all of the stuff we needed to consider to be able to go all of the places in the world as a family. And still, I had totally forgotten until he was about to visit me. I had not noticed at all that the place that I lived um, was a place that was unavailable to him. This is how privilege and power work, not just when it comes to um, people with disabilities or people who move about the world in different ways, but when it comes to all kinds of powers and privileges. Before we were born, before we entered the world, an unjust system was created and we have been raised inside of it, right? The cookie was baked before we got here, the bath was drawn before we got here, and we grew up learning its lessons and learning its divisions and learning its inequalities. We grew up in a society where the literal buildings, as well as some buildings inside of our hearts and some buildings inside of our mind, some figurative and literal walls were built so that white people are perceived to be over people of color, right? So that straight people have power over gay people. So that cis people have power over trans people. Um, so that we privilege people with citizenship documents over people who don't. In all kinds of ways, the world has been set up to divide people and to give them unequal rights and unequal experiences and a lot of that happened before we got here. But we grew up with it, and we grew up in it, in all kinds of ways, and we learned it, even if we think that we didn't. We learned it when we went to schools and lived in neighborhoods that were segregated, right? We learned it when we watched Saturday morning cartoons when we were kids, and the commercials for engineering toys just didn't really have as many little black girls in them as the commercials for dolls or other toys. We learned it when we watched romantic comedies when we were teenagers. And just coincidentally, all of the uh, romantic sexy men were white and not Asian. We learned it when we entered the world with a first language of our heart being something other than English, and we never had the opportunity to speak it. Or we learned it when people always assumed that we would speak Spanish to them because of our last name, and we didn't. We learned it at every step along the way, right? We learned these inequalities, we learned these oppressions. They build the walls inside of us, as well as building the walls outside. Some of us feel really uncomfortable about that. A lot of people in the world, that makes them upset, it makes them angry, it makes us frustrated because um, We've also been taught to feel guilt and shame about almost everything, <laughs> especially our identities. And so facing up to the fact that we might have inside of us some bias 
we might have inside of us some prejudice, we might participate in some ways in systems that hurt people, makes us feel more of that shame and more of that guilt, and we don't want any part of it, right? We don't want to face up to that. We don't want to see that. But it's the truth. We grew up in a system that taught us certain things about who others are and who we are. The option is not neutral or be racist. The option is the world has taught you some things. You're going to have to take them apart from the inside out. The world has taught us how to perceive people when we read all of our young adult novels and all of them, right? had people feeling their first crushes on people of a different gender and not people of the same, and we never saw ourselves in them. The world has taught us, and so we need to unlearn some stuff. And that's not a reflection on us being terrible. It's a reflection on us being human and being part of a broken, flawed, and sinful system that has taught us about who we are and who others are. We can see this, we can know this, um, because it even happened to Jesus. As we hear in the Gospel scriptures today, it even happened to Jesus. There are some who would not say this about this scripture because it makes them super nervous <laughs> to say that Jesus might have done anything bad or done anything wrong or that Jesus might have learned throughout his human life. But to me, I think the best part about Jesus, the biggest part of my relationship with him is that he was fully God and fully human. He knew what it was like to be hungry. He knew what it was like to be thirsty. He knew what it was like to get in a fight with his brothers and sisters. He knew what it was like to be irritated with your mom and not be very nice to her when she tells you what to do. That's a gospel story. I'm not making that up. That's a gospel story, people. Um, and he knew what it was to have grown up in a broken system and to learn its ways and to have those ways come out of him, even when he knew better and even when he knew that God loved everyone. And if that can happen to Jesus, and if Jesus can learn from it, so can we. So can we. That, to me, is the lesson of today's gospel scripture. So in case you weren't paying attention when we read it out loud, because I sometimes forget what the scripture is before I hear the sermon, so we'll, go, we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit. <laughs> um, we find Jesus in a difficult time in his life. We find Jesus stressed out to the max and tired, tired, tired Jesus. Jesus has been giving big sermons to huge crowds. Jesus has been fighting with lawyers. Both of my parents are lawyers, um, but I'll say that lawyers is the one group we'll be allowed to discriminate against this morning, <laughs> right? Fighting with lawyers all the live long day, fighting with Pharisees over tricky wordplay is like not a fun activity. It's not a fun exercise. And so he's tired. And so he's taken his disciples, his best buds, and they've gone on a road trip tire and sit in. They've left their homeland so they can get a little quiet, they can get a little space. And in the middle of that search for quiet and that search for space, a woman comes up and starts yelling at Jesus. Heal my kid. Starts yelling at Jesus, you're God, show up for me. And starts haunting his place where he's seeking rest and seeking space. To most of us, the fact that the scripture tells us that she is Canaanite um, doesn't like, mean a whole lot. We have not met a lot of Canaanites, right? <laughs> but in Jesus' time, Canaanites and Israelites were almost as opposed as you could get. For thousands of years, these two groups had been at war with each other. For thousands of years, these two groups had been blaming on one another the worst of their histories. They had been separated, and when they had been thrown together, those interactions had been painful and oppressive. And so they did not like each other. 
They had a lot of stereotypes about each other. Um, and I would encourage you, as you think about Jesus meeting the Canaanite woman, as you think about that encounter, you think about whoever is hardest for you. Whoever is hardest for you. Whatever group of people it is that you feel the most ignorant about, or whatever group of people it is that you feel the most um, internal mistrust of, whatever person it is you find to be hardest or most difficult in your life, that's who the Canaanite woman would be for Jesus. And so when she comes up to him tired and alone, tired and seeking a rest, the disciples tell him to get rid of her, right? Kick her out. Don't listen to her. She's yelling too much. Um, I take comfort in the fact that the disciples are often wrong and idiots. <laughs> Makes me feel better about my own, my own journey in faith, <laughs> my own life, that I might be okay. Uh, and he doesn't do that. He doesn't kick her out, right? He stays and he listens to her but he doesn't do it very well. He says to her, look, I got people, I got things to do, I gotta take care of Israel first, you're fine, but I am tired and I only have so much, I only have so much love to give, I only have so much inclusion, and it's saved for these people first. It's saved for these people first. And as he says that to her and she continues to challenge him, he gets irritated. And a word slips out of him, um, that I believe from everything else I know about Jesus, he regretted. He calls her a dog in his comparison, right? He says, um, there is no food left for the dogs when I feed it to the children. And you'll find Bible interpreters, you'll find translators who are like, oh, no, the actual word is puppy, right? No, like, it's not an insult. He's like being super cute with her. Um, but they just are uncomfortable, right? They're just uncomfortable with the story because it makes us all uncomfortable and it's a weird story. Um, and even if he had said puppy, right? We still call it dog whistling for a reason. We know when someone says a word that seems innocuous, but we know what they mean. We know when they're really saying, oh, your people, they aren't good enough. Oh, your people, I'm uncomfortable with them. We know. And she knew. She knew the dog came out of his mouth because of all of his associations with Canaanites, all that stuff living inside him, all those walls living in his brain and his heart that had taken up residence there through growing up in that society. She knew. And instead of going away, she stands in her humanity. She stands in her belief that Jesus is who he says he is even when he isn't right in front of her. And she says, okay, God, okay, you say... You say there's not enough. Well, in my house, in my house, the dogs and the kids both get fed. That's how generous I am. How about in your house? How about in your house? In my house, everybody gets something. How about in your house? Because what you have said before is that your house is for everyone. What you have said before is that your house is a generous one that has enough for all and where everyone is welcome in. Is that true or is it not? It says that she kneels before him, and some see that as supplication, but I see the people who stand in the way of those who would tell them what to do. He can't move because she has made her place. She has rooted herself to the earth, and she has said, I am a person. I am not a dog. I am full, and you will see me. And to his credit, although I wish he would apologize, <laughs> maybe he did later. That's how I choose to imagine it. Um, Jesus does. Jesus sees her standing in his way, and he says, you are a woman of great faith. Your faith is so strong. Your faith is so big. Your faith in the mission and ministry of inclusion that God has given me is so wide 
that you held on to it even when I forgot. Even when the walls of society that had built themselves in my heart and in my mind and in my habits made me say something that is not of the mission and ministry I wish in the world, you reminded me when I forgot, you are of great faith and your daughter is healed. This translation and many say in the story that what she wants her daughter to be healed of um, is demon possession, right? A common way that sickness was talked about, but there's a translation I love which says, Oh, Jesus, help heal my daughter. She is demonized. And that's what she demands of her relationship with God, that the demonization she and her daughter have experienced at the hands of the world would be got rid of. That the world would no longer call her not human, but the world would see her for what she is in her fullness of God's creation. If Jesus can learn that, if Jesus can make mistakes, so can we. It's not something to be scared of facing. It's not something to be scared of changing. We can learn. We can say things wrong and then learn how to better say them next time. We can do things wrong and learn how to do them better next time, but it will only happen if we face the reality of the world and if we listen to what people tell us about their experiences, to what people tell us about their lives, if we listen and we take them seriously and believe what they say about how the world works. It is in the nature of being a diverse community that each one of us has a different experience of the world and no one of us can understand everything that's going on. So if we don't listen, we will never know the other things that people are experiencing of the world and how we might, with them, make it a more just one. This is how we begin our anti-racist journey. This is how we begin our anti-oppressive journey, by listening and taking seriously what we hear. It used to be harder. But guys, Google exists now. <laughs> if there's a group of people that you don't know, if there's a group of people that makes you uncomfortable, if there's a person that makes you uncomfortable, if there's a thing that you hear um, that you aren't sure of, you can find a Tumblr with someone sharing their experience of the world, right? You can find it. You can seek it out. You don't need to walk up to someone on the street and say, explain your people to me. <laughs> Teach me about, right? You can find it. And the thing is, you have to believe it. And this can be hard um, in the places that we find where we are in power, especially for white people, especially for cis people, especially for straight people, anyone who has the power, it can be hard to believe what you hear because your experience is so different. But you have to. Step one of the journey. When I was in middle school, um, I had an experience where I, I didn't believe. Um, my best friend in middle school was Sarah. She was the rabbi's daughter, so she was Jewish. Uh, duh. Um, and she and I... We're best friends, right? We did all things the best friends do. We read stuff together. We sat at lunch together. We had sleepovers together. Um, we watched Titanic together a couple of times because that's the era in which we went to middle school. <laughs> um, and I thought that I knew her inside and out. I thought that I knew her really well. And on Passover um, one year, Jewish High Holy Day, very important day, she wore her Star of David necklace to school. Right? She wore a Star of David necklace to proclaim her faith, to proclaim her relationship with God, to say who she was. Um, and she showed it to me in the morning because she loved that necklace. And then she hid it under her sweater. And I was like, why are you doing that? And she said, oh, you know, I just, I don't want people to harass me. I don't want them to, to make a thing out of it. And I was like, Sarah, right from my white, from my non-religious perspective, I was like, Sarah, it is 1996. <laughs> it is 1996. <laughs> 
that people aren't anti-Semitic in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. People aren't anti-Semitic in this middle school. I know these people. They're my friends. This place is fine. No one's going to hurt you. Right? I was so convinced from my own experience that I wrote her off, that I didn't believe her. Uh, but she knew. She knew better than me. Um, later that day, we were changing for gym. And so she took off her sweater and she put on her gym t-shirt. And during that time, uh, someone who I thought was my friend, who I really loved, who I really admired, who I thought was really cool, she had a leather jacket, <laughs> um, named Ellen, uh, saw the necklace. Saw the necklace. And uh, started whispering to a couple of her friends. And we went into gym, and it was a rotation day, so we were sitting on the bleachers, and some people were playing a game, and Ellen and her friend started walking by us, where Sarah and I were sitting together, and every time they would pass her, they would make a cross and hiss at her, devil worshiper, devil worshiper. She loves the devil. I was so angry. I was so angry. And Sarah was angry, but Sarah also had known that it was going to happen. Sarah had known, and we did the things that you do. We told the gym teacher. The girls got in trouble, but we still shared that space with them every day. I don't know that they ever learned why that was wrong. I don't know, why, I don't know if anybody ever taught it to them. Um, and I've realized, I didn't realize that day, but I realized later that I made Sarah's day worse <laughs> by not believing her. I didn't contribute to her pain in the same way that Ellen did, but I did contribute to her pain by not taking her seriously when she told me her experience of the world, when she told me the discrimination that she had felt when she told me how life worked for her. We all do that when we don't believe, when we don't take people seriously, when we pretend that the world is a better thing than it is, when we force people to minimize their experiences, when they tell us about a microaggression and we say that's not a big deal. We contribute to their pain because we aren't believing them. We aren't believing their experiences just because they might be different from our own. So we have to listen. So we have to learn. And in learning, we will find things inside ourselves that we don't like. <laughs> and we will find things outside of ourselves that we don't like. But the good news is that Jesus will meet us there because Jesus has been there too. Jesus has learned, and more importantly, Jesus has been a person who was oppressed and who was discriminated against, who knew the pain of interpersonal discrimination, who knew the pain of betrayal, and who knew the pain of an empire and a power and a principality set up against him. He knew. He knew, and he found joy and resilience. He knew, and he still welcomed Gentiles into the community, the people who had hurt him. We will find that kind of kingdom, that kind of kingdom where we can live and tear apart the walls of the school system and the government system and the education system and the walls of our hearts and the walls of our souls and the walls of our minds, not when we pretend that they aren't there, but when we face them head on and ask for help in taking them apart brick by brick. We will mess up and Jesus will love us. We will be hurt and Jesus will love us. We will apologize, and Jesus will love us. And one day, whether it is in our lifetime or not, we will live into a kingdom where all feel seen, where all are believed and heard, and where all can live together with no walls to separate and to divide us.
It is this world that we love and that we look for and that we ask Jesus to help us enter. Amen.